technology increasingly affecting every aspect of our lives, it's important to understand how it affects us psychologically. Welcome to the Psychology of Technology podcast, where we look at how humans and machines collide. And welcome to the Psychology of Technology with me, Kareem Tawansi, and... Mr. Brett Raven. Mr. Brett Raven, said in his own words... <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Mr. Brett Raven? You know, I, I saw an ad the other day for um, you could buy a square foot of land in Scotland online for, I think, $25, and then you become a sir. You get knighted. Or yeah. a lord, sorry, a lord. Lord, right. Yeah, not so lord. So have you done that? Do I have to start referring to you as... No, as but being lord, lord Raven would be pretty cool. Lord Raven. <laughs> so, Lord Raven, this is the final episode of our, on our series of Migrating to the Cloud. And today I want to talk about what I think is the most important factor, and that's all about getting your digital strategy right. It, it sort of doesn't matter what you're doing from a technology perspective, whether it's migrating to the cloud or, or integrating systems. It really all boils down on getting that strategy right. And so by strategy, I mean aligning what technology is being delivered with what business objective is being met. And I think it sounds easier than, than it may actually be. So... A lot of organizations may have an objective around cutting costs or reducing errors or expanding market share or speed to market, for example. And then from there flows uh, some form of digital transformation or digital investment. And tying all those things in together tightly is very important because from that comes an architecture and a design and then a build. But a lot of people just go straight to sometimes the design or even occasionally straight to the, to the build, yeah, yeah, to the solution, which is which is a big no-no. Yep. Uh, but very common, very common. So um, in your travels, what have you found, just remind our listeners that Brett's been both a vendor and a client. As a vendor, have you had some interesting experience with regards to uh, identifying objectives and, and Strategy. Yeah. So, so to caveat this whole thing, I work as a technology advisor for Salesforce. My opinions don't necessarily reflect that of my employer. <laughs> legal, Has to be said. Legal caveat out of the way. Um, look, I think it. You'd be surprised, even at the top end of the businesses, how um, strategy becomes um, not an afterthought, but less of an importance uh, in some cases. It's yeah. not, not always the case, and. You know, one of the things that I like to do in an organization when I go in and have a look at them is approach it from an enterprise architecture strategy. So enterprise architecture is not about technology. It's about the combination of business and technology and trying to ch achieve goals. And if you don't take a, if you don't have a look at a perspective of what's the business strategy or vision over a period of time, let's say the next 12, 24 months, that needs to be set at some point. And then what are the, the goals and drivers that will achieve that strategy and how do you, how do you work with those? Then what are the KPIs that come off the back of those? So what, what key capabilities and KPIs that need to be built in order for that, in order for those goals to be achieved? And I find that um, people shortcut those chains. There's like five or six layers that you need to go through. But people might come up with a strategy and go, okay, we need to implement X, Y, and Z without thinking about what it is that they're actually enabling and what kind of business impact that they will have. So I think it's critical that people get that strategy piece right, but the strategy is not just a byline. There's mm -hmm. a lot of layers to it. And if you skip a step, you're, you're, you're planning to fail. Yes, that's a good point. I think also for most for-profit businesses, that, that spend on digital has to have some line back to some form of return. Sure. And it has to be within a reasonable period of time. 
Now, having said that, some people can wait up to five or six years, but generally speaking, I'd say 18 to 24 months, people would be wanting to see a return. You know, in, in my career, especially for the last 10 years, the the remit for me has always been, I have three three things to do, three jobs to do within an organization. Yep. Either save money, make money, or reduce risk. Those are the three primary drivers yep. of what a technology person and a business person should be doing inside the organization. And um, each one of those may have a timeline on them. You may have a five-year return on investment on, on something that you're going to build. But what's the return on investment at a 10-year period? Like how, how far are you going to go as a set of benefits and KPIs off the back of implementing something that is powerful and automated? And As a slight ta- tangent, I'm always intrigued by systems that are still out there 10 years after they're being launched. And often people are frustrated with them. And you know, this system's old, and it's, you know you look at you look at it, it looks old. But actually, it can often be a testament to the system itself. Some okay. systems are so well thought of, thought out uh, at their inception that they do last a decade plus. Yeah, and usually they just need new lipstick on them yeah. to make them actually more well received. And I think part of the part of the psychology behind that really is people are used to apps and shiny new things all the time. And, you know, the user experience world has been uh, a massive upheaval over the last five years even. Mm-hmm. So people have higher expectations as users to have sexy software. And if you're looking at something that's 10 years old that you've kind of been working on since IE6, then you're just like, God, I don't want to look at this anymore. So, you know, a simple refresh of the UI is usually all it needs. It's true. In some cases. It's true. I mean, these days in the world of, of microservices, cloud, big data, people need to be thinking about how, how the architecture works, but only if it is going to give them some kind of benefit. And data is so important that I, th- I would say that in, in a large percentage of the cases, there is a benefit to changing your architecture. Uh, absolutely. Look, I think one of the key drivers that I continue to see in any big transformation project, which warms my heart when they say this, is that data is the center of this. So we need to get our data right and in the right places, yeah. usually, hopefully in one place at some point, before we can actually transform the rest of the business. Um, organizations who tend to work in silos, their transformation falls over and yeah. it fails. And that's one of the key, it's one of the key success factors I see is get your data right, get your house in order. It's like the foundation for everything else that you're building yeah. and make sure that everything else can be successful at the back of that. And you know, the telling point is if in the retail world, if, you, if you're dealing with an omni-channel um, retailer and you, seamlessly move from one channel to the other that is I was going to say that that's a really pleasant experience but in reality I think most customers expect that these days yeah I agree um, yeah I agree data is everything well it's been a a lovely series I would like to wrap it up by saying good data to you (laughs) (laughs) nice